The English domestic football season is over, finally. But there is still Champions League and Europa League to enjoy. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last and anytime scores. And with over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and, well, lots and lots more. If you can't watch a live game with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Apple App Store or Google Play. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Mike. Hello John, here we go again. Here we go baby, yes. Uh, The season (laughs) isn't quite here, we don't know quite who we're playing yet, uh, but we know that it will be starting in mid-September. There's many things to talk about really, there's one quite big one. Yes, the kit. Uh, we'll get that. We'll get to that later on. Uh, but because the the big news that came out with exclusive from Adam uh, on the Athletic was the fact that we have a new head coach in Vladimir Ivich, which is good news. I think Michael, we, we we took our time over it, didn't we? We did. Yeah, I guess we did. Yeah, I think it's important that he's in place for for pre season, which I believe starts on Monday next week, doesn't it? So, I think. It was important that they got this one right, or at least we, we won't know if they got it right until until we start playing some football, of course. But I think it's important that they, they took their time because I was just sort of reviewing. I had a couple of weeks away and it was nice to nice to switch off and nice to get away from football, nice to get away from everything. But I'm, I'm revved up and ready to go again now. And I was just thinking about the tail end of last season when, when Nigel Pearson did leave. And there were, I think, the first signs of a few people being unhappy and a bit concerned about uh, the way Gino and and Scott dealt with Nigel Pearson and just perhaps a little bit fed up with with the high turnover of managers. So it was important that they took their time and and did a good job in, in getting this one right. And the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, of course, but having done a little bit of research and, and, and try to find out as much as we can about th- th- this guy who has been, he's been the one sort of uh, common theme, hasn't he? He's been the name that has cropped up really ever since uh, proper conversations have, have been taking place about this. So he has been on the radar evidently, but it sounds to me like the more the more that the, the word is getting out and the more other people are talking about it, it sounds like he is very, very highly regarded across the footballing world. So fingers crossed it turns out to be another managerial masterstroke from, uh, from Gino Pozzo because the last time we were in the championship and we got a Serbian manager. Things didn't uh, end up too badly, did they? No, no, we do like Serbians. Uh, they do well in our managerial positions. Well, at least the last one did, as you say. So we, we, you know, we've heard a bit about him. We've read a bit about him and Adam talked about him in his article. But we want to find a little bit more about people who've been a little bit closer to him. So Mike got on the jungle drums uh, and found some people to speak to. We spoke to a couple of people. Um, later on, you'll hear from Raphael Geller. Uh, who is a journalist out in Israel and follows Maccabee Tel Aviv. Uh, and also we're going to speak to Jordan Weimer, who is Watford Analytics 
on Twitter, uh, a, a Watford fan who basically pays a bit more attention to football in a, in a different way to us as Watford fans. And we'll find out what he thinks about how he might transfer what we've seen of him play in Israel to what he might be setting Watford up to do and how that transition might happen with the Watford players we currently have. But first up, we spoke to, to Ben, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, Ben Jacobs, who's uh, he's currently based in where he splits his time between the UK and uh, and New York, he's a football commentator. But he spent a lot of time working in the Middle East, and uh, he followed uh, Vladimir Ivich's uh, career quite quite closely. So yeah, great to have an opportunity to speak to him, just to get an idea. We've we've seen the stats, haven't we? We've seen the facts and figures. Everyone can can use Wikipedia these days. But it was it was really good to speak to Ben, someone who's followed his career closely, and just get a, a bit of meat on the on the Ivich bones. Watford fans very excited then about the uh, impending uh, arrival of Vladimir Ivic, but what do we actually know about him? Ben, what can you tell us about the man? Well, he's Serbian and of course Watford have an affinity with previous Serbian managers and it's a little bit glib to be making comparisons with Jukanovic, but there are certainly some similarities in terms of tactics and overall demeanour. He's 43. He was a free agent after leaving Maccabi Tel Aviv, where he won two consecutive league titles in Israel. And prior to that, he did really well at the Greek club Payok. He was also actually known during that time for being hit by a beer can during a match, which was abandoned and it almost knocked him out. But he's a tough character and very forward thinking in terms of his use of data. His preferred formation is a 4-3-3, but due to injuries and using a lot of younger players because some of the senior players at Maccabi Tel Aviv during the beginning of last season left. So he was almost forced into a 4-2-3-1. And whether or not he keeps that formation at Watford or goes back to a 4-3-3 remains to be seen. But he was very well liked in Israel. He's a proven winner and I think he'll adapt very well to the championship, perhaps even more so than if he'd taken over and joined at the back end of last season in the Premier League. And you mentioned his success at, at Tel Aviv there, uh, Ben, and I think that's probably the, uh, very exciting for, for Watford supporters. And you mentioned he's, he's had to be quite flexible um, with his with his team selections. But how how did he manage to be just so successful, particularly at, at Tel Aviv, where I think he only lost two games in, in two seasons? Is that right? The stats are astonishing, two in the league, and they were unbeaten last season. They lost 10 games overall during his tenure in all competitions. There's a variety of reasons that you could posit for that success. From a personal managerial point of view, he's simply very organised and combative and he brought a level of professionalism that had been lacking at Maccabi Tel Aviv in the previous few seasons. They're arguably the biggest club in Israel. Maccabi Tel Aviv and Maccabi Haifa battle for affections and they're the two names that many Watford fans will have seen playing in the Champions League and the Europa League over the last decade or two. And when he came to the club, it was a low point for Maccabi Tel Aviv. They hadn't won the league in the previous three seasons they'd fallen down the pecking order and they conceded a lot of goals and in he came with a defensive mentality and first and foremost shored things up at the back and last season they only conceded I believe 10 goals which is absolutely incredible 26 clean sheets off the top of my head were kept and one of the reasons for that was the Brazilian goalkeeper Daniel who came into the fold and another reason was Ivic's 
desire to embed in the team, even when they played a 4-3-3, very defensive-minded and combative ball winners, which again will bode well for Watford in the championship. One player in particular, last season's player of the season, Dan Glazer, has been a standout performer for Maccabi Tel Aviv. And there's almost that Mourinho-like mentality as well that he's brought to the fold, not again in terms of how he speaks and acts. He's maybe a little bit colder and certainly more private than Mourinho, but he protects his players in the press. And the other thing you'll see as a Watford supporter on the field is as soon as they go one or two nil up, he parks the bus a little bit and shores up shop. He's not really interested in entertaining. He sees football very mm. much as a, a business. So don't necessarily expect the most attractive style of football. But I think as we know in the championship, ugly organised sides tend to do well, tend to be consistent and tend to go up. So he's the kind of manager, I think, that will do very well for Watford in terms of getting them back up into the Premier League. You mentioned um, protective with the players in front of the, the press, Ben. Have you got, in your experience or from, from what you've seen, what, what, how, what's he like with players? Because I think at Watford, one of the things that we've been concerned about is potentially some of the, the players underperforming. Um, so how will, he, uh, how will he be with the, with the Watford players and how will he perhaps engender that, that change in culture that Watford need? Well, I think first and foremost, he's a manager of stability and providing the club a patient with him. But of course, the record in terms of Watford appointments doesn't necessarily suggest that they will be the most patient of clubs. But this is certainly somebody that behind closed doors isn't afraid to use the hair dryer. And there's reported cases in Israel, even where they've been two or three nil up and they've conceded goals. There was a derby game in particular against Haifa. Tel Aviv Haifa and they as I say are the two sort of big clubs and when they clash together that's big news in Israel and it was a 4-3 victory but just in conceding those three goals he was more concerned about a leaky defence than he was necessarily about taking all three points so afterwards there was hairdryer treatment and he's not afraid to single out individual players and he is the kind of manager that looks at all these different elements of the game that are perhaps smaller and sees how he can micromanage them so again if an individual player has underperformed in a comprehensive victory he'll let that player know but he's in no way aggressive or loud he's not necessarily someone that will throw his toys out of the pram so hairdryer is not in the literal Alex Ferguson sense it's more in the authoritative um, way that he commands respect behind closed doors he's an imposing figure he's six foot three but and, and maybe unlike the direct comparison with Yukanovic, he's also a little bit softer and the other thing that he's done in Israel and also in Greece is fostered a bit of a reputation for promoting young talent bringing them through into the squad players predominantly under the age of 23 so Dan Glazer is one example of that but another signing is um, Amit Glazer who is a centre-back who's only 20 who's won seven or eight caps for Israel's under 19 side and these kind of players have slowly been brought into the fold and it's his one-on-one man management with them which has won a lot of respect behind closed doors so you may see him tough on the touchline but a whole lot softer in private um, and in the dressing room uh, particularly around matches um, does have a little bit of a reputation with sort of half-time talks and post-match reaction for losing his temper every so often. Uh, but I think that's more seen in Israel as a way of geeing up his squad than necessarily because he's naturally got a short fuse. I don't think you'll find too many Watford fans upset at a overt displays of passion <laughs> from the from the head coach, particularly after what happened last year. But interesting what you say, Ben, there about um, about bringing you through. I think there's there's players that, that Watford fans in particular have high hopes for. Uh, 
um, at the club who perhaps I felt haven't had a, a, as much as a look in as they might have had already. Obviously, it's an interesting setup at Watford. He's going to be a head coach, and then there's obviously a director of football at Watford who looks after the, the transfer side of things. How do you think he'll he'll cope with that? I think in the current climate, having a director of football that's sorting out any loose ends and incoming signings will help him in the short term. It's not the best time, is it, to join as a manager when the season starts so quickly over the last one and therefore there's not much time to get to know your squad or look at transfer targets and as much as people will talk and you know, naturally in the media, raise the profile of somebody like a Dan Glazer, who was the player of the season, former Carbon Tel Aviv. I think it's going to be a big step for anybody that Ivic has directly worked with over the last couple of years to come to Watford and at least stamp their authority on the first team. Maybe only actually Daniel, the goalkeeper, if they were looking for some kind of backup, he is the kind of player, a born shot stopper that would be very useful and has got a pedigree of making a lot of key stops in games because although they didn't lose last season there were a number of occasions where his teams because of the point I made earlier about how he's happy to just park the bus at only one one nils the goalkeeper becomes a very important and focal figure for a manager like Ivic but I think that the issue in moving to Watford is more about whether the pedigree at Maccabi Tel Aviv translates instantly into a Watford setup where there has been instability, where there maybe is some doom and gloom around the club because of the amount of changes and ultimately relegation and because Watford are starting as favourites. And I think that's going to be quite difficult. And sure, by the time a ball is kicked, you might find that Brentford creep back up there. A lot of people may talk up someone like a Nottingham Forest as well. But ultimately, everyone expects Watford to go up. Now, when if it's joined Maccabi Tel Aviv, he was told that if he finished second, that was absolute failure. And he also might be out of a job. But there's still a big difference in terms of pressure and cauldrons between the two clubs. And if you isolate his tactics and his performances and his demeanour and what he got out of his players, specifically in Europe, unfortunately, Maccabi Tel Aviv were a little bit more disappointing. And most notably over the last calendar year, they got knocked out to Cluj when trying to qualify for the Champions League. And it just looked a little bit like some of the younger players and Ivic himself were a bit more overawed by the occasion and maybe the pressure was a bit more tangible. So what's going to be really interesting is to see how Ivic personally and professionally with a new squad and in the biggest role of his career adapts to that pressure. Because as you know, the worst thing that could possibly happen is the first 10 games don't go according to plan. And then immediately, even though it should be farcical, but this is modern football, people start talking about his job being under threat because we've just seen a pattern of that at Watford. And, you know, Regardless of what happened behind closed doors, regardless of individual personalities and fallouts, if you just look at Nigel Pearson's record and you look at his own tactics and demeanour, he's the kind of tried and trusted manager you say could and has got clubs out of the championship before. So if it comes with the right reputation, but that lack of experience and that lack of off-season might unfortunately work against him and Watford. And that's where maybe having a director of football to do some of the legwork and continue legacies that have been put in place before Ivic might actually prove beneficial official to him because it gives him a helping hand and that over time he can start to stamp more of his own authority on the football club now i love a beer and you probably do as well and if you like me enjoy one that dazzles your taste buds then we've got something you're gonna like thanks to our mates at beer52.com you can sip on eight delicious painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world all you need to do is to go to beer52.com forward slash athletic and cover the postage of four pounds and 95 pence and if that wasn't enough as a listener to from the Ukraine, you can get two extra free beers that's 10 free 
beers. You like the sound of that, don't you? Beer 52 are beer pioneers. And like the Potso Recruitment Network, Beer 52 traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery clubs. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case of beer with a different theme. They have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California and many, many more, but they haven't forgotten about their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. What's great about Beer 52 is that you can leave it anytime, whenever you like, it's up to you. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include an award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the themes of the individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack thrown in as well. I often give my one to my wife. It keeps her sweet. Just go to beer52.com forward slash athletic to get your case of 10 free beers, because right now, listeners from the Rooker End will get two extra free beers. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Thanks to Ben for finding out a little bit more about Ivic and his career to date. But we also spoke to Raphael Geller, who is a Middle Eastern football expert, on why Watford fans should be excited about the man that is Vladimir Ivic. Watford fans by now probably know a little bit about Vladimir Ivic and his and his background and his successes and who he's managed and how he got on, particularly at uh, at Tel Aviv. But but what can you tell us about him him the person? What's he been like when you've met or, or spoken to him? For those who don't know about Serbian coaches, this kind of generation of the guys under forty five, very ambitious. The joke in Tel Aviv was is he would never smile ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very tough guy, not the most open to the media, which is fun. Just <laughs> someone who commands the respect of his players and is not as focused about having good conversations with the media or having a relationship with the media. Just full, fully focused on the job, fully focused on the task. For those who don't kind of understand the background of Maccabi, when you come as a foreign coach to Israel, uh, to be the Maccabi coach, you're expected to win every single match and you're expected to win the title. Not winning the title is failure. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure. It's a very big club. There's almost 20,000 season ticket holders and 30,000 fans at matches. So it's a club with a lot of history and a lot of very well-known coaches over the last few years that have been here. If it's Peter Bosch or Slavisa, or Paolo Sosa, or Oscar Garcia. I mean, the list kind of goes on. And, of course, Jordi Cruyff was a sporting director for many years. So there's kind of a demand for excellence, uh, and you feel it from the second that you're here. And that's just kind of the way he approached things, is to be very serious all the time. The way that he got the team to play defensively, I've never seen a club in Israel play this kind of football that you really, when you're watching matches, you, you're like shocked when there's even a shot on goal or when there's a real opportunity. <laughs> uh, the, the back four were just fantastic the whole year consistently. And when guys got injured or things happened, the guys came in and filled the part of the other guys, of, of the starters, that is. The thing that people would say is it wasn't always the most attractive football, not by any means, but the results always came, and if you're a person that cares about results and you care about winning, uh, that's what he did. I mean, again, it wasn't beautiful football. Very different, you could say, than Slavisa, 
um, another former Serbian coach who was here, but just fantastic defense and having his guys focused. And I think another thing that to me is always important when you come from abroad to a new market, you know, and it's 75 to 80% of domestic players that you don't know is how much he improved some of the local Israeli players and how much he got out of maybe older players like an Itai Schechter who was in England back in the day uh, and, and how he kind of got the most out of everyone and improved players and got players respect and got the organization's respect. And it was very clear to me that he was never going to stay here. I mean, it was pretty surprising that he stayed here for the second year. That's very rare in Maccabi Tel Aviv history. You usually stay for one year and leave. But it's hard to, to say how that will transition to the championship. It's a very different league. It's a very competitive league. Every match is, is difficult. But the man is extremely, extremely hardworking and ambitious. And that's what you want in 2020. You want that kind of manager who's coming in who's really going to give it everything and who's going to work very, very hard and is not just there, you know, to be in England or for the paycheck or anything like that. Yeah, so you mentioned you you surprised he, he he stayed in Israel for that long. Was there any other interest in him or do you think he's been waiting for a move for, to England specifically? Yeah, his agent is, is of Leanne Sport. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a very big agency in the Balkan region that's connected with every club you can really imagine in the world. Mm-hmm. Ramadani is the head of it, and he's worked a lot with Pini Zahafi, which I'm sure everyone who's listening knows who that is. So the options, I'm sure, were always there. You know, he had the right people uh, looking out for him, but I think he was very comfortable here. You know, the wages are good here, but it's like, you know, why leave a beautiful place on the beach where you have mm-hmm. the respect of your players? I'll say one thing that I think is is important is that the biggest thing that people will remember him as his only fault and the only problem they had with him was his success in the European competition, which is very important to Maccabi Tel Aviv because it brings in a lot of revenue. And in general, it, it's important for a club from one of the smaller leagues in Europe to have a standing in Europe. And in regards to European qualification, uh, the bottom line is that the team failed. You know, I don't, I don't know if you want to say he failed as a manager. I think... Uh, as I highlighted in an earlier interview, I said that one of the problems was is that the management moved very slow. And, and you know, you guys in England are used to playing Champions League and, and Europa League late later on in, in, in the summer, whether it's the playoff round or the group stages. But here in this part of the world, we start the first and second round of qualifiers in the end of uh, June and early July. And so sometimes if you don't make the right changes in June when the season ends and you don't build the right places and you're still in the middle of re-signing players from the previous year, you kind of have hiccups. And I think that's what happened. I mean, last year, Maccabi Tel Aviv lost to Saduva from Lithuania. And to be honest, that that's, it shouldn't happen under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maccabi's wage, wages are significantly, significantly more. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened the previous year as well against a team from, I believe it was Norway. Those are the things that I, a bit a, people were a bit disappointed in him. But again, when you see that the club gave up less, I think, 11 goals this year, 10 goals in 36 matches. That is an incredible stat. I mean, anywhere you look yeah. in Europe, that you don't see that. You know, even the, the best teams in England, the best teams in Bundesliga, that 10 goals in a full season. And <laughs> and guys, that's Watford with almost Corona. almost conceded that in a match. Right. Exactly. Well, that's that's also with Corona when the guys haven't played for four months. And because we finished our 26-game season, 
and then we had an upper playoffs, which is 10 more games. So that's even with the 10 games of guys being off, he absolutely demanded the same thing from them coming yeah. back from, from that break. So. You mentioned the, the the split and the way the the Israeli league is is structured, and that's obviously different to, to over here in England. What other what's, what do you think the biggest changes are between Israel and obviously he's not going to have to worry about Europe, certainly not this year at, at Watford that, in, yeah. in the championship. That's not an option yeah. this year. But what are the what's going to be the biggest changes for him to to deal with moving from that league to over to, to the championship? Do you think? Look, I think any coach who comes into a club that just got relegated, you you have a lot of things to sort out, right? You have a lot of players who it's unclear. Do they want to be there? Do they not want to be there? There's a new manager. They don't know the manager. Um, I think that he could be, excuse me, fantastic for player recruitment in the sense that these Serbian coaches that coached in Israel and coached in Greece, they know the market very well in, in the type of leagues that is very prominent to to recruit from in the championship. You know, teams aren't spending the same type of money that they are in the Premier League uh, in the championship. I mean, maybe Watford obviously will have more money and they'll want to go back up. But in general, I think in terms of recruitment, he could bring some very interesting players. But I think that because he was in a situation with Maccabi where he had to win every match, and I mean, this this is something you guys would tell me, but I'm assuming the Watford supporters in the hierarchy are expecting his team to want to go right back up. I mean, I know it's very difficult in the championship, but there's there's going to be pressure on him to be in the top and at least make the playoffs. And he's used to pressure. I mean, every single match here, you need to win. So that's something that I think will be will be positive. But again, the transition from from Israel to the championship is is an enormous one. You know, the championship in my opinion, I've said this many times, is the most competitive league in the world. You know, you can be in third place and lose to the team in, in 24th place. I think something that will give him motivation or, or is that I'm sure he spoke to Slavisa. Uh, I'm sure yeah. they, I, I'm sure they spoke to each other and, and, you know, Slav went from Watford to Maccabi and then, then to Fulham. So I'm sure he spoke to him, explained him what to expect. And, you know, I think it's good that a club like Leeds left the championship finally. Uh, mm. I think that the clubs that went down from the Premier League this year aren't the, you know, the sexiest in the, like in the past. But again, you have, I mean, fantastic clubs like, like I mean, the list goes on, you know, Cardiff and, and, and Swansea and Forest and Brentford. And it's a very difficult league. Um, and playing against a small team in Israel in 10th place, you know, as opposed to playing, as everyone likes to say, a Stoke on a Tuesday night in the rain. It, it's very challenging and you don't really know how you'll transition from that. All fascinating stuff and, and the standout stat I think is that defensive record and he obviously likes to, to, to set teams up to be difficult to beat. So whilst yeah. that's pleasing on one respect, it might be setting a few alarm bells off for, for Watford fans who are, who are hoping for an expansive style of football. But one last question, sure. as Watford supporters, should we be excited about this, uh, about this, um, about this hire? Absolutely. I mean... Absolutely, because I, I think, you know, it, it depends, right? If you're a supporter of Wofford, do you want to bring a British manager from the championship? Do you, it, it depends kind of what you're looking for as a supporter, right? If you're interested in bringing an up-and-coming, very talented, very ambitious, very hard-working manager who, again, Maccabi Tel Aviv is not this big club that, you know, you're talking about a club in England that has history and but at the same time, Maccabi is a big club, and to win two titles here and work uh, with with the people that he's worked with, it, it means something. So I think that you also, again, look at the guys who've 
who were here. And Peter Boss went to Ajax, and he went to Dortmund, then he's now at Leverkusen. He went from Maccabi to Ajax. Um, these guys went, you know, Slav went from here to Fulham, and I think that year in the championship, I don't know about you guys, but I think they played the most attractive football in the championship. I mean, just they they were first in every single stat. Um, so I think that, yes, I think you should be very excited about him, but it's football, and that, that's why we all love football, and you never know how he'll adjust to the championship. But I think you have someone that's, that's very excited to be there and, and sees – Going to Watford as a big honor. It's not a manager that, you know, could be coming from another team in the championship or maybe a bigger league. I think he's going to be very happy to be at Watford. And I think as a supporter, you always want a manager who's there that feels like this is a step up from his last job. At least that's my opinion that in today's modern football, you see Mourinho going from club to club. It's hard to, you know, is he excited to be at Spurs? I mean, I don't know. He was at United. He, he was at, he was Chelsea. He was at everywhere. Is, is, does he have the motivation? I'm sure he would say he does, but you have a manager that's really ambitious. And, and the one last thing I want to say, guys, is, is to keep an eye on some of the guys on Maccabi who I'm absolutely positive could play in the championship. You're talking about the best players in Israel, um, players that have been linked to, to clubs just as big as Watford, if not bigger in other leagues. And he has good relationship with his players. Uh, Watford certainly have the money to pay these fees. They're not enormous by any means. They're, in the two to three million range. And these are players that I believe, uh, because they have that connection with him, could do well. And, um, yeah, I think overall it's, it's something to be very excited about. From the rookery end. So that's finding out about what he's done in the past. We also got in touch with Watford Analytics or Jordan Weimer who is a Watford fan and a freelance scout and heavily into his analysis of football. And we asked him, as a Watford fan, how he thinks, from what he saw at Maccabee Tel Aviv, how that might translate across to Watford. Jordan, you've had a look at what this this man has done in Israel. What what have you picked up from watching some games for, uh, for Maccabee? So this was my first dive into the Israeli league and I found it a bit of a mixed bag in terms of quality. Maccabi Tel Aviv and Maccabi Haifa are the two clear front runners. Below that, there's some individual quality, but there seems to be a lack of depth to the squads. So we expect things to be a little bit closer week to week in the championship, obviously. What we can take from that is a few, few things on how he plays the way he sets up. Um, 4-2-3-1 with his favoured formation. He did switch to a 3-5-2 a few, on a few times too. But it seemed like he did that as more of a way to change around his front line rather than being uh, overly pragmatic or switching to more defensive formation. Uh, so he's quite aggressive in that sense. Offensively, lots of advanced fullbacks, narrow wingers, kind of playing as uh, inside forwards. The mobility in the front line seemed really key to him. Lots of changing of positions, so nothing was too stagnant. Overall structure was quite fluid through midfield too. Lots of midfielders overlapping, getting into the box. Lots of shots. Uh, they averaged 12.86 per 90, which was the second in the league. Probably the other main thing that stood out, especially offensively, was the use of his holding midfielder, Dan Glazer. He dictates the tempo. It would really kind of suit that Kapu or Will Hughes role. He's a screen defensively, but once they get the ball, he starts everything. Uh, he really shone. I know there's been talks of him possibly being linked to us now. Whether that happens, have to wait and see. 
Jordan, I'm going to come straight in because we spoke to, to Raphael and, and Ben and, and the big thing that they spoke about in terms of the, the style, Ben was very sort of effusive about the way he, he does change the, the, the formation slightly, but defensively seems to be the big touch point for, uh, for Ivic. And it did, my, my heart didn't sink because if we can get Watford sorted defensively, then obviously we're on onto a winner on, on a sound footing. But it sounded like that the focus really was on, on defence almost to the point of it being quite attritional but the the way you're describing the teams you've seen him set up that doesn't necessarily seem to to be the case actually sound relatively um relatively exciting and, and forward-minded yeah i think a lot of it has to do with what players he has at his disposal he, he can be pragmatic um but if you're looking at how we integrate some of the players we've got in our squad currently i think you see him probably lean a little more offensively from what i saw defensively i thought they were quite aggressive in their own half uh quite quick to win the ball back off the ball, the structure seemed pretty, pretty good, pretty compact. They didn't sit too deep. Being a very possession dominant team, they were maybe a little bit susceptible to a counterattack because they progress up the pitch over time and then maybe they get caught up a little bit high. I think overall, I wouldn't be too concerned about it being overly, overly negative. I think there's enough pieces he has at his disposal here, especially uh, with the, the kind of inside forward winger off. If Saar was to stay, you've got Joe Pedro. I think there's going to be some, some options for him there. Do you think there is an easy, not easy transition? Maybe it's easier for the Watford players. Do you think it would be easier for them to be able to take on this new style? Does it feel too alien to them or, or would it be nice and just, oh yeah, we can do that, lads, so let's carry on? I think it's probably less of a learning curve than if we'd appointed to Struber, perhaps. I think that was maybe more of a, more of a change from what we've been, we've been doing the last few seasons. I mean, it's going to be a much different approach. But that naturally, that's going to come with being in the championship anyway. I mean, we're going from a team that's fighting for survival to suddenly, in a space of a few weeks, we're, we're expecting to go out there and try and challenge to go straight back up. So the whole the whole structure will shift in that in, in itself. But from the from the players we have in our squad, we've got quite a good setup to go straight into this system. Um, and again, compared to Struber, I think we just we don't have to make as many changes personnel-wise. Because Struber was going to be uh, possibly a lot more energetic, a lot more running. Was that right? Yeah, he was. He was very aggressive off the ball. Um, required a lot of a lot of work rate, athleticism, and also he didn't really utilize wingers in the same way. He played a diamond, so he was very narrow. Um, this way, we do get to use a bit more of that natural width that we have. Obviously, Tel Aviv uh, top flight in Israel. They did qualify for Europe, and that was. Where he, he probably came on well by the sounds of things he he came unstuck, translating it you know the, the championships a lot more cut and thrust a, a, perhaps a little bit more robust I think it's probably a bit more skillful than than a lot of people give it credit for. There's a lot of good good uh, players, managers, and teams in the championship, but in terms of it translating that that top flight league to where they perhaps get a little bit more spaced to the championship, what your what are your feelings on that? I think when you're when you're managing a team at the top end of the table like he was in Tel Aviv. I think he he maybe had the luxury of being able to worry more about his own team than the opposition. So I think he's probably going to have to adjust a little bit there and start considering how how your opponents are going to be setting up, what you're going to have to do away from home. There's maybe a little bit more flexibility he has to have. Uh, might have to make some more adjustments. Um, but I think ultimately, I think a big a big point for the ownership will be bringing in someone that's going out there with the expectation of of winning uh, week on week, and hopefully that will be that extra driving force that that we'd need. I think that was maybe a worry going into this uh, this off season. 
a podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. We've learnt quite a lot there, Mike, and I, I definitely feel like I know the man, even though I've never met him or seen an interview as a Watford manager uh, with him. But but I think, as as Raphael said, it, we we can only feel excited. Yeah, I think that was a, a lovely note to end on, the fact that, that Raphael said we should be excited. He, he, throughout our chat, he was very effusive, wasn't he, about um, about Ivic and what, and what he's done and the, and the sort of type of person he is. The, um, ben mentioned the way he brings youth through. A whole heap of things that I think, if the, if, if Ben and, and Raphael were, were, if you like, um, uh, Vladimir Ivic's agents or they were putting together an oral CV for him you could see exactly why he would have uh, come across the radar of, of of Gino and Scott a lot of attributes that, that Watford are going to need this season so yeah it, it sounds like if it goes well it could all come together to, to make Watford um, very very competitive this year he's obviously got a job on that's that's the thing that we need to to remember it's all it's very easy to get excited when as the season gets closer the kit out new manager excited about potential incomings and outcomings it's it's easy to get sort of well a bit overexcited especially when you hear from from guys like that on, on what he's achieved but we do have to set it against the reality of it's it's a big big job there's going to be lots of incomings lots of outgoings but it sounds like he's you know he's got all the all the skills all the attributes all the experience to to at least give it a good go so different in bits of information from those two guys but I come away from that really, really positive. I think perhaps the one thing that did surprise me a little bit, I had picked up on the fact that he was very defensive-minded. You don't organise a side to, to win the league by conceding only, was it 10 goals, 10 or 11 goals? Yeah, only just the 10. Terrible. Just 10 goals <laughs> in, in, across the course of a season is quite quite dramatic. And I think the, the quote was, it was a surprise when someone had a shot. So that's that's a, quite a big departure for Watford, isn't it? So I think perhaps as Watford supporters, if we're ex- expecting the expansive football that we saw under Savisa Jakanovic, for example, in the, in the Championship, I think it's going to be very different to that. But I haven't necessarily got a problem with that because I think this Watford side needs a, a big old shake-up, both in terms of culture and performance. So I think... Um, from what we've heard, it sounds like a very, very promising appointment. I'm excited to see him arrive. And that's important that we've got the man off the off the pitch ready to, to get the boys on the pitch playing ready. But will they be dressed and ready for this new season? The Watford kit was released today. And I know you don't want to hear the opinion of two 40-year-old men who really could do with a one of those, or many, maybe several television shows to sort out our appearance. So we spoke to the man... Who's in with all the fashion and the kids? It is Arlo. What did Arlo think of the new Watford kit? Mike's surname is Parkin. He has a son called Arlo. And this is Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again, and I don't know if it's for the last time last season or the first time this season. Anyway, it gives me great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Bonjour, and I'm good, actually. Bonjour, a bit of French there. Très bien, très bien, monsieur. Très bien. Right, you don't know what I'm going to ask you to do, but I'm just going to show you something and I want to get your immediate reaction, okay? So here we go. I'm just going to hold the microphone there. Okay. And then show you. Oh, whoa! What have I just shown you? Hoffman's new kit. And what do you think? That's... Wow, that's awesome. You like it? Yeah. Can you describe it? Like a swirl in a way. Yeah. A big spiky swirl. And you like it. What what are the things that you like about it? 
I like how it's got the original colours and, um, well, I like how... I just like it overall. It's kind of... I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, I feel, because we haven't really had a kit like it before. And I like it because we there's all of the spikes are pointing to the Watford badge in a way. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. Other people have caught up on that as well. So, one's on its way for you. Will you be wearing it proudly? Yes, I will. And can you rate it out of 10 as a, as a Watford kit? 11. 11 out of 10. Well, I'm sure the good folks at Kelmay and at Watford will be delighted to hear that. Arlo, thank you very much for joining us. And how are you feeling just finally before we go ahead of the, the new season, obviously in the Championship? How are you feeling about Watford? Great, we're going to win the league. I'll take that. Come on, you horns. Thanks, Arlo. Come on, you horns. I've got to admit, G Mark, for this kit, I look at it and I, yeah, you saw the little, yeah, the the, the leak bits and bobs, and it, to me, it, it could have legendary status straight off. Just it could be not the worst kit we've ever had, but it just has its uniqueness that will stand the test of time, I believe. Yeah, what you probably won't have heard in in Arlo's little clip there is, well, you won't have heard it because you can't hear eyes lighting up. But I literally did surprise him. I kept it hidden from him, and he he came in after riding his his new bike, which is yellow and black, by the way. <laughs> um, and thank you, by the way, for everyone that wished Arlo a happy birthday. He loved that on uh, Twitter, so thank you very much. But yeah, his eyes lit up when he saw it, and that really was my acid test for for the kit. He's the one that's going to wear it. He's the one that that, that lives in and lives his in virtually his entire life in in Watford merchandise, and he really liked it. And I'm with you. John, I think it's, I think it's striking. I think it's different from from everyone else. I think it's slight um, hints of the old Kaiser Chiefs um, shirt from uh, from from yesteryear and the current Borussia Dortmund shirt. There's little little nods to those two shirts. So they're both pretty pretty cool shirts, pretty iconic um, clubs and shirts. And I think it's the, the big thing for me is it's bold, but perhaps more interesting than that is it's different now we all talk about oh, it's just a template or we see other other clubs wearing their away shirt as our home shirt and vice versa and i think when you're with a with a, a big manufacturer like uh, like puma or adidas or Nike, the tendency tends to be unless you're a massive club you get like just a, a template and the kit announcement comes it's like oh yeah it's sort of yellow with a bit of black on it whereas this one you can't you can't miss it can you i think it's got tongues wagging across social media lots of non-watford specific accounts have picked up on it and and it's caught the attention no, i think it looks it's striking and uh for a kit i think that's all all you can ask for i think there's some nice little details on it with with watford's um community values printed on the on the inside so some lovely little lovely little touches and uh yeah i'm for i'm all for it i've looked at it i've, I've kept going back to it throughout the day and the more i've looked at it the more i love it it's uh it's a resounding yes from me and an even bigger resounding yes uh from young arlo yeah, I, I wasn't sure when you saw the leak because it was in that plastic thing. But when you see it on an athlete, it always looks better. It will not look good on me and my belly. Not a chance. But I did see several people, uh, the second tier um, podcast, they they saw it. They said, well, this, this, this is amazing. Watford have won shirt of the season. Uh, and at the underscore kits man was very impressed by it. You know, there, there are people who really pay attention to lots and lots and lots of kits and, and they like what they see. I also noticed Miguel Layoun liked it. Yes, I was going to say. And <laughs> I Watford mean, agreed to send him one. Well, exactly. And, you know, he wants to keep his collection going. Perhaps he can go some way to soothing our relationship with the uh, with the Mexican audience after our little uh, 
post Wembley spat with uh, with Wolves and Jimenez. So uh, but we've got a Miguel Layun in our corner. Hopefully, he can uh, do a bit for Watford Mexican relations. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Um, the, the, there's not much going on at the moment in terms of Watford. Um, many many Watford fans out there absolutely craving for any sort of news. Um, I don't know if they're that interested, but we maybe you know even if they heard what size blade the groundsmen are using to cut the <laughs> the lawn, that that might help them. But they seem very the very lawn. desperate. The lawn, yes, the Watford lawn. Uh, Football, <laughs> um, not bowls, man. Perhaps that's where we've been going wrong. <laughs> but we haven't had any ins or, or outs or anything like that. But one, I suppose, one out that we, we talked about on the last podcast, we expect to go out in some way, is Ismail Azar. Uh, an article was, was put out there, and he certainly seems to be professional and sensible about it all. He you know, is going to leave the club in, in, in a good way. But, it, but in which way? At this point, Mike, are you are you in favour of selling him now just because the championship isn't you know enough for him? But are you, you know, let's keep him? You know, a season the championship might be the best thing for a young lad. It was definitely decent enough for for Grealish. Or or do we sort of loan him out to somebody in the top tier to sort of keep him keep him as, but to keep him developing as a as a top tier player? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned when we were talking about about Ivic there, we have to be realistic about our situation. We are a championship side now. We need to understand that's our level and we need to work hard at, at, at being competitive at that level. The other realistic assessment is that Ismail Assar is far too good for the championship. He is a Premier League and I would say top-end Premier League operator. Um, now, I've seen some people argue that because of that fact, Watford should be happy to let him go. And while I, I get that, I'd be I'd be devastated to see him go. The thought of Ismail Assar propelling Watford up the Championship and back into the into the Premier League, in, back into the Premier League, fills my heart with absolute joy. He is one of the best players, undoubtedly, to ever pull on the the yellow shirt. I don't think he's had a chance to fully show what he's capable of yet. So it'd be sad to see him go, and I'd, I'd love to see him today. But by the same token. And as you rightly point out, Johnny's been quoted as saying, look, if a massive club comes in for me and Watford agree, then obviously there'll be discussions. But as it stands, I'm happy to stay. Well, at least he's playing it straight down the middle, isn't he? That's what you'd expect from a sensible footballer with with sensible people around him. But if, if he was to go, it's, we, we know a couple of things. It's going to have to be to a decent-ish side. I would have thought because he he's got relegated last year and he won't want to be going into into that situation again next year. If he does move, he doesn't want to be wasting another year of his his career messing around in the bottom of the, the division because he is better than that. And also, it's going to take a massive bid. He costs Watford an incredible amount of money, somewhere between thirty and thirty-five million, I think it was in the end. So Gino Pozzo will want a return on that investment. He didn't get it on the field last year. We ended up relegated, so they will definitely, definitely, definitely want financial recompense if he is to go so it's going to need to be a big club convinced that he's good enough for them and convinced enough convinced he's good enough for them to part with a lot of money and obviously the the the, the covid situation is still unfolding we're seeing that the, the the economic impact it has on on football clubs up and down the country across the world in in fact is still being fully understood so quite how free people are going to be with their with their money i think is remains to be seen so 
you know, ultimately, I'd love him to stay, and I'll, I'll be—he's probably the one player at the moment that I'll be—I'll be sad to see go. But that said, he'll go with my blessing, and I think he'll go with everyone's blessing if he does go, because he's obviously that good. It's just unfortunate timing for us that we've been relegated at the time that that we have probably one of the best best players, or certainly has the the potential to be one of the best players the club has has ever seen. So. Really mixed emotions. So, but I think everyone's cool with it. If that makes sense. If he stays, amazing. If he goes, that's what you get. If you get relegated, you lose your you lose your best players. So, but how much for? This is the question. This is the question, Michael. <laughs> we know what we paid for him, but we know what we got for Richarlison somewhere in the region with some add-ons and all the rest of it. About fifty million, mm. and we didn't. We paid like what was it 50, 15, 16 or something for him. We paid a lot more for Ishmael Lazar, and he definitely has the same potential as Richarlison. By the way, fantastic article on the Athletic about Richarlison. Um, if you go and check that one out, it's it's a beautiful to learn about him and his past. So, what, what would it take for you, Mister Parkin Pozzo? What would you want? <laughs> For for him, I think I also, I do think as supporters, it's it's easy to get sidetracked by money. Ultimately, it doesn't really make any difference to us. We don't see the player and we, if he if he sold, and we don't see any any of the money. So I think it's very very easy as supporters to get to get caught up on this. And I think the reason that people are so keen on understanding or knowing what transfer fees are is so they can wave it in the face of the buying club. Oh, thanks very much for the fifty million Everton, for example, in the sake for the sake of a chance. And so I think for you've got to work on the basis that with with Gino Pozzo and Scott and the rest of the the, the Watford board. If he's sold, it will be for the right amount of money, and that, I think we just need to take that as red. But what would it take? I mean, you'd hope that it, you're looking at, at 50 million, wouldn't you? Using Richardson as the benchmark, I think he he certainly has the the the, the potential to be a, a better, if not certainly as good as Richardson. The difficulty I think we have with him is he didn't have a full season, and obviously Richardson ended... didn't really either. No, but 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 he he was in the side early wasn't he and he performed consistently well for Watford until he decided he wanted to leave obviously and until you know the silver debacle didn't help but he did have a decent ish body of work under under his belt Ishmael Assar has been a bit stop start hasn't it obviously he he lit up the room against against Liverpool he didn't wasn't played at all at the start of the season and then he struggled like the rest of the team really since since uh, since lockdown so has he really done enough for, for 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 the guys to sit in a room and say look we want 50 million or you can or you can go whistle probably not um, because they you know over the other side of the table they'll they'll make the argument i did that economic situation is is uncertain and there'll be also be there's going to be a big hole in Watford's finances, isn't there? Of course, there's going to be no uh, Premier League um, TV money. There's the, the parachute payments, obviously, but we'll be there won't be in receipt of anything like the cash that we were last year. And they must have one eye on on plugging that gap. So, I think, for example, if Liverpool came in for for forty million with forty million pounds for Ismail Assar, I think it would be um, farewell. Yeah, I think that would forty million and the right club would would probably do it. We see what happens, uh, and there's probably plenty, plenty, plenty of news to come from Watford, but just not quite yet. Uh, thank you very much, Michael. Absolute pleasure to be back, John. I'm r- absolutely raring to go. New kit, new manager, some new players, new division. What's not to like? New, new, new. I love new things. Shiny, new. We'll be back really soon with another podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for all of you that have uh, decided to subscribe to Athletic. And, of course, you lucky people get to listen to these podcasts via the Athletic app without any adverts. Uh, But at the moment, you can get a 40% discount on your subscription. So do head over to theathletic.com forward slash rookery where you can get 
ad-free podcast, plus all the fantastic content that the writers put out there on a daily basis. Come on, you all!